You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Join me for a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for these wonderful stories, especially the calling of your first disciples. And we thank you that you have called us in these latter days out to have faith in you. Strengthen us and bless us, O Lord, as we reflect upon your word this day that we might better run the race that is before us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So after the first service, it was kind of funny, um, one of the people says to me, he says, Pastor, you know, when I, went to, when I went to church as a kid, they taught all these old stories. You're not allowed to tell stories about when I was alive. Today's story is from 1985. Um... It's 1985, and it's early November, and it's 38 degrees outside. Remember the old school buses that, you know, the ones with the three-foot-wide benches that no matter how slow they took the curve, you either ended up in the aisle in the middle or squished against the window? We were in one of those, and they were really not good at being warm. We were all huddled around, and we were all suited up. Uh, in red, white, and blue because it was the marching band championship. My school put a lot of energy, effort, and money into competitive marching band. My best friend and I were using a Walkman. This is cassettes, folks. (laughs) And each of us had one earpiece because they didn't have things like splitter jacks available and stuff like that. So each of us had one earpiece. We've got them in our ears and we're doing this. We're listening to a heavy metal song called Some Heads Are Gonna Roll. Because we're ready to go into the competition. Now to understand what this moment meant to us, I've got to take you back to June. The last day of concert band at the end of the school year, our band director hands out five pieces of music. and says, practice these. I'll see you in July. You arrive in July, and one night a week, for the month of July, you're going to come in for three hours of band practice, and work on that music, and try to get it as good as you can. You'll be sorted into sections, you'll be sorted into section leaders, but by the end of the month, you've had 12 hours working with your classmates, your peers, trying to make something good. Then, we transition to pre-band camp. Pre-band camp, you're there every night from Monday through Friday for three hours, so 15 hours that week, doing the same stuff and beginning to learn the basics of how to march in a straight line, especially for the freshmen. If you're a freshman, this is a miserable experience 
because um, not only are you learning a skill you've never learned, but you're getting hazed in ways they won't let you do anymore. The boys were all forced to wear bikinis by the senior girls so that we ended up with strap marks. And your friends are driving by on the road, honking at you and saying unkind things. But we're learning to march in ranks of five, trying to keep our line straight as we go. Five yards, five yards, five yards, make a right-hand turn, pivot. Basics. The next week, Monday morning, you arrive at 9 a.m. And you will be there from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. every day that week. Learning the show with which you will compete. So there's 60 more hours added in. Friday night, if you're lucky, your parents will show up to watch you do the basics and do them horribly badly. You will continue to practice two nights a week, and then you will start to add in football games. Football games, for us, were the scrimmage. You go out, whatever the travel time is, to and from the game, you add in the game time. But for us, the practice was the halftime show. And you tried to perform the best you could, the stuff you've been working on, the other six hours of the week before you ever arrived here. And then Saturday night was the competition. Saturday nights, all from late August through the end of October, on a typical day, we would leave our high school at noon and get back at 2 a.m. And we would spend all that time together practicing and finally performing in front of people. Now, if you've never been to a band competition, let me explain to you how they rank you. You start out with a perfect score of 100. And every time somebody's knee doesn't come up as high as the person's next to them, you lose a tenth of a point. Every time they hear a missed note, you lose a tenth of a point. Every time your straight line is a little wobbly, for each wobble you lose a tenth of a point. Curves are harder. <laughs> Our first competition of the year, we scored a 37. And we placed third. <laughs> this sent us back to the drawing board. As our various instructors listen to what the judges said, because the judges walk around with these little tape recorders like I'm recording the sermon with right now, and they're talking as they go. They're listening to all that, and they're sending the corrections our ways. They're also introducing changes they've had planned from the beginning because they didn't want us to get bored and stop concentrating. And all through those next two and a half months, you're spending about 20 hours a week with your friends. And some people who aren't your friends. But you're all pulling together for this one goal. And it all comes down to this night. The week before, the last competition before championships, we had scored a 72. And we missed the first place by six-tenths of a point. Each and every one of us was thinking through every part of what we did because we knew that that one-tenth of a point that we might lose could affect all 130 of us and be the difference between success or failure. And so my friend and I are listening to our pump-up music and some people are praying and some people are doing something else. 
but everyone is trying to get in the zone that will let them perform the best they can because all of those dozens or even hundreds of hours come down to this one ten-minute performance. Have you ever worked that hard for something? Ever felt that much stress on you? That desire not to let down your friends? That desire to do the best yourself? It's game day. And that's what this is all about. If you've ever watched any sport movie, there's always the big moment when the coach gives the pump-up speech in the locker room. Because it all comes down to the final game. And that's what John the Baptist is doing in today's reading. The Jews have been waiting for their Messiah for hundreds of years. There are dozens of prophecies in the Old Testament predicting the coming of God's chosen one, His anointed, that will restore the fortunes of Israel and rescue her from out of her bondage. And when John the Baptist sees his cousin walking by and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he is communicating to all of his gathered followers, it's game time. This is what we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for hundreds of years and now it's time. And maybe that makes the response of Andrew and the other unnamed disciple make more sense to us. See, John's followers are the most committed Jews of his day. They have left the safety of the city to go listen to John preach in the wilderness. That involves physical danger, folks. They are taking a great risk by going out where robbers and wild animals are in charge, beyond the walls of the city, to hear a guy dressed in rough skins who eats locusts and honey preach the word of God and call them back to faithfulness. They are already committed They've given themselves to this thing. And now, now it's game time. And Andrew and this other guy just drop what they're doing and go. And they spend the day with him. And as as we know well, they're going to join up with him and follow him for the rest of the Gospels. And even, finally, all but the Apostle John unto martyrdom and death. They are committed. They are willing to give whatever they need to give to win the big game. Because this is what they've been preparing for for generations. And it's not enough for Andrew that he get in the game. He has to run and find his brother and say, come on, this is what we've been waiting for. Let's go. And this is what Christian discipleship looks like, folks. We use that word a lot, and it can become a word that dies the death of a thousand cuts. We just kind of overuse it. But discipleship just means when you hear Christ calling, you go. You follow His words to come and see. And as you are changed by your interaction with Him... You share it with the people you love. This is the heart of evangelism, folks. Evangelism is not about explaining to other people about how they're wrong. It's not about telling other people about how you're right. It's about 
what we see in the last line of our gospel reading today. Bringing people to Jesus. And let Jesus change them. He's changing you. Now if you're like me, I wish I was a better student. I wish He was changing me more and more quickly. And I'm working on those parts of me that continue to resist Him. Continue to say, yes God, but not yet. Yes, I'd really like to, but I've got these other things to do. Yes, but I find that I love this other stuff better than I love you. Do you understand the grace of a God who will even accept you on those terms? You want to play the game? I think I do. Come on. I'll strengthen you as we go. Trust me for the next step and the next step. This is the heart of the gospel. That we can say to God, as Nicodemus says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. He will accept us on those terms and begin strengthening us. And He doesn't wait for us to get good and proper and mature and wonderful before we get the chance to share Him with someone else. As we are in the process of being changed, this thing that changes us, we want to share with those we love in the hopes that they can find the joy that we are discovering. We placed second at the championships by three-tenths of a point. A couple years later, my best friend and I, the one I was banging my head with, um, we were in the side chapel of St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Middletown, Pennsylvania, as he got married. He was on furlough from the military. Um, he was getting married so he and his bride could be deployed together. And um, I was talking with the pastor because I'm the best man and he was going to give me some things to do. And I was asking him things like, what does all that stuff on your, that thing around your neck mean? Because I wasn't a Christian. And he said to me, he says, you know, I haven't never done a wedding like this. My dad told me about doing weddings like this during World War II. So we had this little four-person wedding and then we headed back to the bride's house. And the bride's father starts talking to me. I guess because he met me in church, he assumed I was a Christian. And we got talking, and he was talking to me about the guilt he felt over the fact that he was just a glass worker. He said, I just, I just make windows for a living. He said, I, I, I want to I do missionary work. I, I want to go and share with people. I, I take time and I go on these trips and you know, we do nice things for people. But you know, I, I feel so bad that I don't get to go and, and do all that stuff. But you know, someone's got to cut the glass. Someone's got to make the windows. I wasn't sure what to say to him. I don't know where he is now. But I want, if I could talk to him today, I think I'd say to him, how exciting that the mission field has come to him. Christians used to feel like we needed to go someplace else to tell people about Jesus. Now we walk out our doors. At the end of the service, there'll be a thing up there that says, you are now entering your mission field. I can introduce people who've never met Jesus to Jesus at a family gathering with my neighbor 
And sometimes they reintroduce me to Jesus. And I thought I was following him already. What a gift that we can be on mission for our God even as He is changing us. Having saved us from our sins, He's now going to turn us into the kind of people He created us to be from the very beginning. And I get to share that joy I have with those around me. We are blessed to live when we do. As we go into our congregational meeting to make our decisions about what we're going to do for the year ahead as a congregation, to know that we are right where we need to be, suited up for the big game, following our Lord and sharing Him with those we love. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, we thank you that you have given us the chance to be where we are, when we are. In the midst of all the difficulties we face, you have brought us to your word that can change us. You're reaching out through that word and with the power of your spirit to grab a hold of our hearts and encourage us to take the next step in faith. Grant us the courage of Andrew that ran to your side and listened to your every word. The love of Andrew who wanted to share with his brother this great thing that was happening. Grant us hearts that care for our neighbors and for each other. Help us to live from what you have done for us that we might know your blessings and share your love. We ask it in your precious name, which is forever Jesus the Christ. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light.